For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Brian O'Connell and Greg Johnson. The Revolution coming off of a one nothing loss to FC Dallas. We've been talking for a few weeks now about you know, what this Revolution team actually is when they face off against an above-average MLS side uh, with 11-on-11. We've seen in the past couple of weeks where they've benefited greatly from early red cards as they've gotten away with wins. But the Revolution now, with their first loss since the season opener, uh, as they fell one nothing to FC Dallas, uh, and, and really a, a performance that I think there's a lot you can learn from uh, defensively, there were a lot of holes. We'll talk about that later. Uh, offensively, there was a lack of clinical finishing. Um, and and coaching-wise, we didn't see a third sub made in this game as the Revolution were pushing late for an equalizing goal. Uh, Christian Namath came, out, came on right after Dallas took the lead. Um, and Juan Agudelo came on at halftime for Scott Caldwell as they went more offensive. But as the game wrapped up and the Revolution looked like they really needed a spark, no sub came into this match, which was you know interesting choice from Brad Friedel um, against a, a Dallas team with a lot of energy. So let's start with that, and I think that leads us to the question of, you know, where was Lee Wynn again this week, um, as, as you didn't see him? Kellen Rowe uh, was a late scratch for this game and, and did, was unable to play, so he wasn't in the 18, so it seemed like the perfect opportunity, if you were ever going to play a Lee Wynn, to put him in the 18 and give him a chance, and uh, you know, I, I know Brian had a chance to talk to Brad Friedel after the game and ask him that question, you know, the question that was on a lot of people's mind, where, where was Lee Wynn, who it looked like could have helped change this game? Brian, what did you hear from Brad? Yeah, so essentially, you know, I did ask, did get a chance to ask Brad, you know, whether or not he, you know, wished it, he had, uh, you know, a uh, win available for selection in a game like that, given the circumstances. And obviously, like, you never know how a game is going to turn out, but you would think that in a game in which you're, you cannot rely on the, on the other side going down, you know, another man again, um, that, you know, against a team as, as uh, you know, as strong as FC Dallas in comparison to the last two play- teams that the Revs have played, You'd want to have, you know, basically your best players. Um, I think it kind of goes without saying. And to see Lee not available um, really kind of obviously was, was again, a head-scratcher again uh, going into the game. And then to see how that decision kind of, like, had an impact on how the game played out um, was also kind of interesting. So I had to ask, you know, I had to ask uh, Brad Friedel the obvious question is, if you know, if you could do it again, it was he the kind of player that you'd want to bring in at you know given the circumstances in the last 15 minutes going down a goal, and he was resolute in his answer. He said no. He um, he thought that Diego was playing well, and that uh, you know the actual quote is that he wouldn't and he would never in a million years have taken off uh, his number 10 and put in another number 10. Um, and if he wanted to do that, he would have brought in Zach Arevo off the bench and played replace him with Diego, which I thought was a really interesting comment because to me that. The inf- uh, that that infers that he'd rather have Zachary Harbaugh in that situation than Lee Wen, which to me is insane. Um, you know, obviously we all know that what Lee's done, but to have, you know, have the situation kind of set up to where this, if you're going to play Lee in any kind of role or in any kind of situation, 
that's really kind of the situation you want him. You want him to, you know, have him available at home, down a goal. Your game's still within grasp within the last 15 minutes, and to not have him, not ha- not have him dressed is kind of, I think, speaks to the mindset that uh, you know Fatal has, and to me that speaks to uh, the fact that, at least in my opinion, my opinion that you know that he's punishing win because there's no reason why he's not fit enough. Um, and it just seems to me that it's uh, it's you know it's a it's a clash of the wills I guess you could say rather than making uh, doing what's best for the team. Yeah, and I, I agree with everything Brian said. I think it's one thing to uh, keep Lee, Lee Win out of the 18 when you have Kellen Rowe available off the bench, but you know to say if I needed a 10, I would have gone to Zach Harabo is a uh, that, that is a major major statement to make that somehow Lee Win is below Zach on the on the depth chart. Um, I mean, we also, I don't really, in the limited time we've seen Zach Arabo, we don't know how he would play as a number 10 against a, you know, a team like FC Dallas. So um, it's one thing too, another point I'll make, because it's another thing too to say, you know, not have him involved in the game plan. But if Diego Fagundes goes down in the fifth minute with an injury, having Lee Wynn would at least give you another option to kind of come in and, and, and make more of an impact on the game than either shifting around a formation or shifting the other players. I think Lee Wynn would be able to kind of be a, a like a, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the words to say, but it'd be an easy fix where you don't have to shift the entire formation. You don't have to play someone like Panini in the middle or move Caicedo into the middle. You could just put Lee Wynn and have the other players playing where they were and you wouldn't really lose anything. So to, to totally exclude Lee Wynn out of the 18 and, and to kind of bury him down. I mean, we were making jokes about it a few weeks ago about how he, you know, he put Brian Wright in the midfield over him, over Lee Wynn. But uh, that seems to be the scenario. It, it, it must be a very personal thing going on, or maybe they just don't want Lee Wynn to, they don't want to play him and, and get him hurt in case he's traded. But it's really baffling that he's out of the 18. And if Kellen Rowe is injured, I don't want to say long-term, but the next few weeks I, I'm would be, I, I'm not surprised, but I it's kind of hard to believe they're not even going to include Lee Wynn in the 18 when there's a spot that he could easily fill. But you both make a great point, and, and this goes to a tweet that, that Brian put out there, is that Lee Wynn is capable of playing out wide. When he first joined this team, he played out wide perfectly fine. So if, you're, if your fear is messing up that number 10 role, you can play Lee Wynn on the left uh, if you need to. And he's done very well there in the past, and he has cre- creativity out there. Or you can play him on the right, or you can... You know, move Diego to the wings because that's where he's you know had success in the past. Um, it's it's kind of a, a cop out to say, oh no no no, he can only play the number ten, and we don't want to mess up Diego as the number ten. Because uh, you look at that that bench, um, and you know they brought on Christian Namath and Juan Aguadello, and then you know you need another offensive spark. Who do you have, Brandon Bay? I, I guess you could bring him on, and he might do a little bit more offensively than an Andrew Farrell, um, or maybe you put him on as a as a winger. Uh, but do you really want to put on Brandon Bay over Lee Wen? You you can't tell me that anyone rational actually thinks that that's a better decision than putting Lee Wen on in that spot. So, um, I, you know, I'm not buying what Brad Fiedel is saying uh, after that game. It, to me, it, at this point, it looks purely punitive. If if you really think that Zach Haribu is better than Lee Wen, um, and you know maybe you've seen something crazy in training that tells you that, then Lee Wen should have been traded long ago because it just doesn't make any sense to have a guy making five hundred thousand and, and you know probably more than that. Because uh, I, I assume his salary probably went up this year, uh, to, to have a guy like that just rotting away outside of the 18, I I just don't get it, and I don't see the logic in it. Um, and we're seeing on Twitter, I, none of us happen to see the segment, but it sounds like Taylor Twelman mentioned uh, something in the ESPN broadcast today about a $750,000 offer that that was potentially out there for 
for Liu Wen that the revolution turned down. And, you know, what are you doing at this point when the, you got, got a guy that's 31 years old that's not playing, that's making $500,000, um, and you're not, you know, listening to what's to me sounds like a pretty good offer for him that I can't imagine is going to go up too much uh, as he continues to waste away on you know, outside of the bench and, and training with the reserves. I just, I just don't get it. Uh, I don't know what I'm missing here, but the logic is, is lost on me. Yeah, and to me, if, if that if that rumor is true, and I mean, you know, we all know that that Taylor Twelman's uh, you know, broken broken some news in the past. That's been pretty reliable. So I mean, if that's if that's a reliable if that's reliable information, you also have to wonder if you know what kind of what if any kind of discord is taking place in which, I mean, for me, I mean, based upon you know Fidel's comments yesterday uh, after the game about win, you have to think that if it's him, he jumps at that opportunity to say, hey, let's take on you know. Let's take on three quarters of a million dollars to get rid of a player that I don't have any plans to use. Um, you know, given given the given from what we've seen the last six weeks. So um, I also wonder if there's some sort of discord there where you know it's obvious that it's obvious that Win is not in Friedel's plans. So you know, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars is nothing to shake at. I mean, it's really it's really probably going to be the Revs' best offer. And I mean, if if they're turning down that and you know the the you know the negotiate the starting point for negotiations is anything higher than that if it's a million dollars you know it it then shame on the revs for not for not acting and for not getting their getting their act together to uh to move a player who it appears has no will not be playing in a revolution uniform so long as brad Friedel's a coach and guys what's crazy if you got to think if lee wins worth seven hundred and fifty thousand, how much is zach harabo <laughs> worth i mean he's above him on the depth chart <laughs> He's probably worth 1.2 yeah, million allocation. Don't you old, so I would double that right there. <laughs> I, I, the potential <laughs> is. <laughs> but, well, and to put it in context too, uh, you'll remember last year the Revolution reportedly got a bid for Lee Win uh, for a million dollars in cash from an, a team in Israel, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, because of MLS rules, allocation money is actually worth more than <laughs> cash. Uh, and so the 750,000 in allocation money is actually a stronger offer than what they received last summer when Lee Wynn was playing for the Revs was in great form. Now that he's out of form and they receive a stronger offer than they did last year, I think this is the peak of what they're going to get. I'm, I'm not entirely sure why they're not jumping at that opportunity. I understand it's an Eastern Conference team that they probably will be competing with for a playoff spot. That I mean, assuming that's what it is. If it's a Chicago or Montreal, I think those are the two teams that have been linked uh, to Lee Win the most. But even if it's one of those teams, you're right. The Revs would get seven hundred and fifty thousand in allocation money and clearly wins salary off the books. They'd have a lot more money to go out and, and make a splash this summer, bring in someone else. So. Um, it's it's really confusing if this rumor is true and they decided to pass well, on it. I'm not two sure what they're weighing in here for. too. When you talk yeah. about you know, 750,000 allocation money, the, the deeper you go into the season, the less teams are a going to have 750,000 dollars of unused allocation money to pay you, and b on top of that have money to pay Lee Wynn's salary, salary cap space, and you know allocation or or Tam to buy it down so he's not a designated player. So you know, both of those things make the longer you wait seem like you know, you're probably going to get a worse offer. And, and then on top of that, the longer you wait, the less you, time you have to actually go out and do something with that money to improve your own team. So again, I don't know if I'm missing something, but what is to be gained here by waiting? Yeah, that's pretty much it. The long, the long silence there was pretty <laughs> much all you need to know. Uh, I don't know. Unless the only scenario I see where someone makes a – bigger offer is if a key player for another team gets hurt and they're making a push and they need someone 
immediately. Yeah, so you're gambling. That's the only scenario so where I see. Which you know, it could happen. It could happen, but to me, it's you're screwing yourself over by by waiting and not making this move, and then using that money or whatever you get to improve your own team. Maybe you swap Lee win for a player to to fix your defense, and, and we can talk about more about the needs the defense has later on because that's what I want to get to. Uh, but it just you know, it, it just makes no sense to me that they've waited this long. And and to hear those comments from Brad Friedel, if you know, if he really thinks that lowly of Lee win at this point. There's no reason to hold on to him, and I, I just, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand, you know, in what scenario it makes sense to do what they're doing. Well, I mean, he, he's just saying that to save face, though. You know, he's, he, he can't say, yeah, I kept one of the most talented players off the 18. I mean, he can't say that. But uh, so, I mean, obviously, his comments are not true. He's just kind of saying it, it, it's just to. I'm going to say rationalize it, but you know, he, he has to say something along those lines, but the actual act of keeping him out of the 18 wall, holding them to a standard that this is an MLS all-star is very confusing. And, and if Roe gets hurt, I mean, what is a scenario where you play him? If we don't see Lee win in the 18 and Kellen Rowe is not in the 18 because of injury, under what scenario could we possibly see Lee win? <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> Richmond kickers, like I said a few weeks ago. That's that's if he's still on the roster come open club competition. Which which right. is which is if he is, is right. insane. Hey, <laughs> guys, don't forget. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, big news coming out of Hartford: the city council approved that renovation of the stadium. USLT might be going there in 2019. They could use an attacking <laughs> midfielder. Yeah, I mean, if, if he's not going to play, you might as well loan him to a USL team, right? <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it brings us to another point. And I know, you know, Greg, you wanted to talk about it, and I think um, one of our readers had a question. Uh, related to Diego Fagundes, I don't know if you want to jump to that now, Greg. Yeah, we got we got a question from Lost Hope Legacy, uh, and it says uh, Diego seems to be struggling. Do you think Brad will change his mind about Lee Win if Diego continues to underperform? Uh, and Lost Hope, if that is your real name, uh, I will say that you know I don't think Lee Win is getting into the 18 in any any situations we were kind of talking about, but he also seems to be. Uh, tying his anchor to Diego. I think he really has high hopes for Diego. Um, I really, we talked last, I, I talked last week about how I was a little disappointed in Diego's performance. Uh, he made the team of the week, which made me look dumb, but uh, he still could have done more a little bit last week, in my opinion. And this week, he seemed to be really off. Uh, he seemed to lose possession a number of times, and the Revs really didn't get anything up the middle. It seems like their offense right now is to go down the wings and to cross the ball. Uh, into the box and whatever chances they did have, it seemed to be from loose balls in, in the area. Diego really was isn't able to um, <laughs> kind of get in behind the defense and and uh, lead Bunbury into the box at all. So uh, I'm I'm not really impressed with how Diego played yesterday as a ten. Um, probably I would say his worst game of the season so far. Uh, and so it's probably him trying to adjust to that number ten spot um, and trying to be the the guy in that offense. But um, overall, I, I'm think he's had a couple of shaky weeks and uh, I know Brad Friel won't think this but I'm sure a lot of revolution players would like to see maybe Lee Wynn get a crack at it maybe come on for Diego uh, in the next few weeks and see if he can provide something a little bit better yeah I think um you know and like you said Greg I mean last you know yesterday was definitely not uh Diego's best performance and I think the important thing to remember is that you know, the idea of Diego as the 10 isn't a new idea. I think it was back in 2015 that actually Heaps wanted him to play more centrally. Um, and I think that was the, that was a year in which they also got off to a slow start, as 
as they always did under Jay Heaps. And uh, they kind of scrapped the idea, and he returned back to playing out, playing out on the out on the right. Um, so you know, the idea of you know Diego playing centrally is not a new idea. It's a new idea to Brad Friedel. It's not a new idea to anyone who's watched the Revs in recent years, uh, because you know this is an experiment that's been tried before. And you know, the biggest thing about Diego is that he he's a lot like uh, he's a lot like Kellen in the sense that they're both really streaky players. They get into really good form for about three or four weeks, and it just seems like wow, this is this is going to be the opportunity in which they really, you know, reach that next level. And you know, as we as the, all three of us have seen from Dagan last few years, he never has the it's the consistency that always seems to elude him, and that's and it's that consistency that prevents him from being one of the best players in MLS, in my opinion, is because we all know he has the ability. It's the it's 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 just the fact he's not able to do it, you know, week in and week out. Um, on a consistent basis that that holds him back and um, you know we could talk about that <laughs> I mean that's another conversation entirely as far as as far as his development goes but you know one thing that we all know I mean watching the resident recent years is that Diego is just a, a streaky player he has really he has three or four really really good games and he just kind of falls off the map and then he has to kind of work himself back into the uh, in you know back into the lineup uh, you know if it comes to that point um, but he's never really been a consistent player from from start to finish. And uh, I think, you know, Friedel would be wise to keep that in mind or at least to look back and see, you know, Diego's track record of, you know, he scores a few goals, has a really hot streak, and then he kind of, like, disappears. Um, only to reemerge, you know, <laughs> midway through the summer or, like, a few weeks later. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that if he does tie his anchor to Diego for the season, he also has to be prepared to, you know, withstand the lulls that you know Diego seems to encounter every year yeah and and to add to to that and to mention something that Brian brought up before the we started the show and he pointed out you know the statistic that Diego Faguna has actually led the game in unsuccessful touches with with seven uh which is you know not something you want to see from your number 10 he also led the revolution uh in times dispossessed with four um, so it, it's no surprise then at the end of the day, his rating was the worst of any Revolution starter with 6.39 on, on the Who Scored ratings, which are based on statistical performances. Um, and, you know, I, I think the play on the field matched what the stat showed at the end of the game, uh, which, you know, despite good passing numbers percentage wise, overall, it just wasn't a great performance from Diego Fagundes. And I, I would agree his worst of the season. Um, and, and we should know this was a game in which the Revolution had 63% possession. Uh, so Diego was at 82.7% passing, well, yeah, which looks good, but uh, the four times this possessed and seven unsuccessful touches is not what you want to see out of your number 10. And you know, it's part of the reason why the Revolution you know, struggled to find good offensive chances despite their superior possession and their shot totals. Uh, and Diego had that one shot himself that went just wide that you know, perhaps he could have done better with. But you know, again, it wasn't Diego's best performance. Um, and and <laughs> like you said, the obvious, re- the obvious replacement there is Lee Wen. That's not happening. And of course, Kevin Rowe can play that role as well. Um, but he's out injured, and it sounds like I don't know. I don't know, Brian, if you could talk about what you heard on on Kevin Rowe and his potential status for next week. Yeah. So uh, the question was asked about you know Rowe's status. You know why why he wasn't why he wasn't available for selection. And I think it was Jeff Lemieux who um, kind of um, uh, kind of alluded to it pregame. And, uh, you know, Friedel's quote, and I'll just, I'm looking at the quote right here, and he said that, uh, uh, yeah, Kellen has we, has a, we hope that it's a minor injury on his knee, not the knee that he injured last year. We didn't say too much because he just saw the doctor late on Friday. He had an MRI yesterday, yesterday being Friday. 
no major damage, so we're hoping that it's only a couple of weeks, but I'll have to wait to hear what the doctor said, but fingers crossed it's nothing too major. Um, and he went on to say that uh, he'll be re-examined by the, medical, by the team's medical staff on Monday, and they'll get probably a better idea as to how much, if any, time he'll miss. So it seems initially as though we probably he probably won't be available you know, against Columbus, um, which obviously will lead to another interesting decision as to with a week you know, to think about what it. kind of eight. Yeah, <laughs> with a week, week to think about it, exactly. And and after what we saw happen on Saturday to maybe kind of take take a step back and reexamine the situation, um, given what took place, given given what took place on Saturday. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting uh, it'll be interesting to see what that team sheet looks like, you know, at Columbus. Yeah, no, I think there's potential for changes, and we can get to that at the end of the show when we preview that game. Uh, I did want to talk about the defense here, and I know, um, Greg, there was another question we got from one of our one of our listeners about the, the defense. You want to jump into that one? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, Bobby Reverton asks, uh, did anyone else notice any Baba literally yelling at Dielna to get back when the refs were attacking? Is this indicative of a bigger problem? I would say there was a, a lot of yelling going on in that defense in this game. Um, there were some, some chances that it was just – mind-boggling on how poor the defense was on. Uh, the eventual goal, Andrew Farrell, was a you know, bad gaffe there, and his uh, just flicking that header right onto to the, the player there. Um, and then earlier on, there, were, there was a chance where there was a wide-open header for a Dallas player in which uh, Somi and, and Dielma did not look on the same page at all. I'm not sure who was supposed to be covering him. I think it might have been Somi, but just left the guy wide open, and if not for a fantastic save uh, from Matt Turner, they would have been down earlier. Uh, and then there was, you know, another breakaway chance where, where Annie Baba had the ball come right to him and somehow whiffed on it and set up a breakaway. Um, so I think all four defenders in this game uh, come out of it with some, <laughs> with some plays that they will wish they could have done differently. Uh, Matt Turner had a phenomenal game. I think he got beat on, that, on his near post on that goal and maybe would want that one back. But if not for his saves, uh, this defense would have looked a lot worse. And I, I think that's a, a theme that we've seen this season. Even in the games in which the Revolution had 10 men, and we talked about this, they were still giving up lots of very dangerous chances. And you know, with some more clinical finishing from their opponents, uh, the fact that this team has only given up an average of one goal per game at this point, uh, I think is, is this makes this team look a lot better than it actually is. I, they're not a team that's only worth giving up a goal per game with how bad this defense has been. Um, and it, there's, there's a lot of questions out there. I, I don't think Andy Baba had a good game. I thought Dionne did get caught forward a few many times. I think he's getting you know, p- perhaps too confident in his ability to, to go forward, and you know, that's not necessarily what this Revolution team needs. Um, I will say Andrew Farrell, I think, has looked a little bit better offensively. He's gotten more, defense, more decisive when he gets forward, but you know, he still has some, some questionable moves on defense, as you saw in this game. And, and Somi, again, too, I don't think he's necessarily on the same page. Um, and, you know, for a while, we could give this team excuses that they hadn't really played together. This back line was new. Um, the first two games, it was switched up. But now it's been four straight games with the same back line, and they, they still don't seem to all be on the same page, and they're still making these boneheaded mistakes. Um, and, you know, again, we talk about changes going to next week. I think the defense is an area that you have to look at because uh, it, it just hasn't clicked over these last four games, despite, you know, even those games when they're getting the shutouts and the wins, the chances have been there, and they've been lucky that they haven't given up more goals uh, than they have. Yeah, and I think uh, and I think the troubling thing is that you know we're seeing a lot of the same mistakes that that really betrayed this team last year, um, and to kind of go back to the goal that Dallas Dallas scored, the ball that went to Lamar before setting up uh, before setting up to Corey Harris, <laughs> I, I I think I tweeted about it, but I, I the, so if I remember the sequence correctly, the ball was crossed for uh, Lamar over on the left. And I specifically remember Farrell looking at the ball go by him, and him just being way too late to to make any kind of any kind of clearance. 
And after that, when the ball went to Lamar, he basically gave Lamar like about four, like four or five feet of space within the like within the box. So he gave him plenty. So not only did he allow the cross to go through, but he gave the the guy who ended up with the assist way too much room to find to find Jacory Harris for the goal. So to me, I mean, you know, Andrew <laughs> Andrew Farrell is a really nice guy, and I credit him for always you know for always being a stand up guy after the game, you know, because. You know, this defense has gotten, you know, has really gotten torn up in recent years. And he always, he always stands there and answers the questions. He never ducks from the media. So I do have to give him props for that. Um, but it's just, unfortunately, it's just a lot of the same things, same mistakes that, you know, have undermined this team over the years. It's just those boneheaded mistakes. It's, you know, being a step too slow. Um, it's not reading, you know, it's not reading, you know, the de- it's not reading, you know, the attacks when they come through. Um, and it just seems like the same things that have plagued this team last year and the year before are still plaguing, the, plaguing them this year. So you really do have to wonder what the game plan is going forward. If you have guys like Delna, you know, getting a little too ambitious with the ball going forward, and you know Farrell kind of looking lost all over again um, and wondering when it's really gonna when it's really gonna hurt him because it certainly hurt him last night. Um, and it's early enough in the season where he can make changes, but uh, you know you just you just have to wonder what, if any, changes will be made as the season goes along. Because at some point, you know, it's obvious. You do have to make changes. And, you know, not to go back to what we were just talking about earlier, but, you know, if you're going to get offers for, for Lee Wynn for $750,000 in allocation money, hey, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe you might want to use that money to spend on a defender or two. So, But I, I digress. Yeah, and to going back to the play about Farrell, uh, the, the couple times I watched it, I, do, I forget who – the player on Dallas was, but there was someone who Annie Baba was marking who was, it looked like they were going in for a header and the cross went over them. And it was almost like Andrew Farrell expected the ball to go to them. Like he was, he wasn't even expecting to be part of the play. He saw the cross coming in and just totally misjudged where the ball was going. Cause yeah, it just skips right in front of him like, like a foot. And if he gets ahead on it, or if he is anticipating that ball, it's cleared. Um, but it totally took him off guard, and I'm not sure if he just wasn't turned around fast enough, if he, if he just couldn't react. It was a really, really strange play, <clears throat> and normally we, we expect Andrew Farrell to clear that ball. So, um, yeah, and yeah, he didn't he didn't lock down that uh, the 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 man he was marking at all. Uh, it, it, he was kind of lost on the play in general. He wasn't really guarding the player either. So, um, really, really strange. I expected a lot better from Andrew Farrell. I, I you know, I, he had such a great week last week for, for him to turn in that performance yesterday was a little disappointing, but uh, I'm sure he'll do better going forward. Um, in general, the line does seem very, very disoriented. Um, I know we've talked before about Bielna going down. At the one point, uh, he was on the wing, like all the way downfield on the left wing. I think Pania had the ball and was going to the center, and Claude Bielna was calling for the ball on the left wing. Uh, I mean, he, he goes all over the place, and... I think that's good that they are able to kind of roam and be fluid and get involved in the offense. But there are times where they get caught off guard and again, against a team like FC Dallas who came into the game, uh, you know, just looking for counterattacks. Um, I mean, they only had so many chances before they got burned. So um, it is a bit of an issue. I don't know if it's necessarily communication or if these guys are still not getting used to each other, or if maybe they kind of had two or three weeks of going up, uh, being able to go out of position against a, a team that's shorthanded and not really being punished for it. And then you play a, a more disciplined team like Dallas, who's waiting for you to be out of position that, you know, uh, 
made them make mistakes. So um, I, I do think it's a bit of an issue. I think that's their weakness. And uh, I would not be surprised to see Dylan May next week. Yeah. And as you were discussing these plays, I was going back and looking at some of the highlights. And again, that, that play in particular I talked about earlier where there was the wide open header, which is just mind bogging in the 16th minute. Um, there was ample time for the Revolution defense. It seemed like a you know built up in slow motion. There was ample time for the Revolution defense to figure out something there and, and you know to, to mark. Uh, and you can see that a guy comes in towards the far post and Somi goes out for him. And, and Dielna is just standing there marking space. He's not marking a man while there's this wide open man on the far post. And it's, it's shocking to me that Dallas didn't finish off that chance. But you know you, this point in the season, you need to be on the same page where somebody says, "Hey, Dielna, there's that guy wide open right behind you," or Dielna has the you know the presence of mind to go back and and cover the wide open man on the far post. Um, it was shocking there. And then you look at the the goal where we you know talked about Farrell um, on that play. Uh, Dielna again was caught a bit flat-footed because you see Hay is running in through the box and Dielna is the guy that could have stepped up and stepped to him, but he doesn't. He just stands there. Um, so you know, I, I think this was a you know, particularly bad game for Dielna, uh, which, which leads us to the other center back that hasn't, hasn't played, uh, De La Mea, who you know, the past couple seasons has been the Revolution's best defender. Um, Brian, I think you talked to him after the game as well. What, what did he have to say about his lack of playing time? Yeah, so I asked him. Uh, I asked him just because you know we're all curious about you know what what kind of happened to uh, to you know one of the primary center backs from last year. So I figured, you know, I, I saw him in the locker room yesterday. I figured I'd uh, you know spend a couple minutes just asking him what he thought of the situation. And you know what he relayed to me was that um, you know he really hasn't had any communication with Brad about what his role is, which was my first question. I just asked him, you know, what he thought, um, you know, if uh, if um, Friedel had kind of like discussed with him what his role is. Given the fact that he's no longer no longer eleven, and uh, Dale May said that you know there's really been no communication about that about that that topic about you know what what's expected of him um, and what you know what he can expect now that Anibaba's you know this the uh, the other first choice center back next to Dielma, and so I thought that was kind of like surprising um, you know in the past you know the the sentiment with you know, a Jay Heaps kind of coach team is that at least he would tell them, you know, what, you know, what's going on, what the expectation is and why they're being, you know, either, you know, either, you know, dropped or, you know, or there's a, a role change. You know, I felt like the communication was always there. So to hear Delamaya say that was kind of surprising. Um, but again, it's a new coach. Uh, one thing he did say is that, um, you know, he did, he's working hard in training um, with the expectation that that hard work will pay off into, you know, possibly translating into getting back in the getting back in the eleven. Um, he did make a note uh, that you know he understands the, he understands the situation, and that you know he got a red card in the first game. They lost that game, um, and they haven't lost since up until last night. So he kind of I don't know if he was joking or if he was being serious, but he basically said something along the lines of, um, you know, maybe not that they've lost, I can get my job back. So. Um, we'll see. <laughs> I think that's a fair question. That's a fair comment to see what will happen next week, given the defensive struggles that we saw last night. And that, you know, as Sean alluded to earlier, I mean, this game could have been 3 nothing revs, given given Christian Coleman's poor, ter- just terrible finishing. Um, this game could have been, it could have been a blowout. So, you know, the revs were fortunate in the sense that it, it ended one nothing. It could have been 3 nothing. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what decisions are made about the uh, lineup next week. And, uh, you know, if there is a change, I, I could very much see a situation in which Dale Mayer does reclaim his, uh, his uh, starting spot next to Dale I think that's a good segue to one of our other listener questions. If, Greg, you want to jump on that one. Yep. Uh, Rennie Swan asks, uh, what changes does a home loss prompt in Columbus? 
we've talked a bit about what changes you might see here. I think De La Maya's one. Um, and my question for you guys is if you do bring in De La Maya, is it for Dielna or Anibaba? Because if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would you know, say Anibaba is the one that goes out. But again, I don't think Dielna has asserted himself particularly well recently. I, I actually would say Anibaba is still the guy to go out of the lineup. I think De La Maya and Claude Dielna worked together last year and um, seem to have been uh, forging kind of a partnership. The other thing, too, I like about that pairing is Claude Dielna goes up field uh, a little bit. And uh, De La Maya seemed to be able to kind of recover and, and cover his areas where when he went upfield. So um, whereas Anibaba seems to not necessarily bail him out as much. So um, the other thing, too, is that, you know, Claude Yelna does go upfield. That might be something that the Revs are encouraging. I don't necessarily think De La Maya or uh, Anibaba are, are players that can go up and kind of join the offense. So um, I guess next week there it's a road game at Columbus. They might not want that type of. Uh, aspect in their game, but uh, I'd still have Dielna starting uh, next week with De La Mea, uh beside him. I think that's a good pairing. It worked towards the end of last year, uh, and I think that's how I would play it next week. I think if it's based if it's based on recent form, you take out Dielma, but if it's based on team dynamic, you take out Annie Baba because if you take out Dielma, who's your captain? And I think that's really kind of something that um, you know, kind of like, kind of creates an issue for Friedel. I really do think that Friedel really, really likes Dielna, um, you know, and I think it was evident right in preseason when he gave him the, when the captain's armband, and uh, I think he does have a lot of faith and belief in Dielna, um, you know, so I think that, you know, if it's based on recent form, we've seen, we've seen Dielna, you know, get a little, get, sometimes get a little too ambitious, and it costs him, um, and it costs the defense, it leads to a lot of, uh, as Andrew Farrell would say, emergency defending, Um and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it hurt them. It hurt them yesterday. So, um, you know, I think, I think like Greg said, I think it will be Dielna. It will be Dielna and Dale Maya. Um, but I do think that Annie Baba has probably played a little bit better than Dielna, at least defensively in recent weeks. But I think that the move will, I think we'll see a center back pairing of, uh, of Dielna and Dale Maya next week. Is any of what we've seen so far, and I want to take a step back for a moment, you look at, you know, which guys have kind of fallen out of the lineup? Uh, you know, Lee Wynn, and yes, there's the whole you know, backstory of him asking to be traded. But you know, let's go back before then. You see Lee Wynn, Kellen Rowe, and De La Mea, who, you know, looking at them, I think you could make a, a strong case for the Revs' three best players over the past few seasons. Uh, now all of them are on the outside looking in, and yes, Rowe had the injury, but even before that, he wasn't a regular starter on this team anymore. Um, and I think you could also make the case that those three guys were you know, three of the leaders under Jay Heaps, and, and again, we can question whether there was enough leadership under Jay Heaps with, with some of these guys, but you know, is there anything here that's you know, partly Brad Friedel, maybe too, too much to an extreme, trying to make his own imprint on this team and move away from what Jay Heaps did? Um, you know, there's the goalkeeper keeper situation as well, which has played out in his favor because Matt Turner's been so good, but uh, it, you know, three of the guys that I think you looked at you know, prior to Lee Wynn asking to be traded... Um, and you would have said are the, the three cornerstones of this team going into this year. I don't necessarily think it's Friedel shaking things up just for the sake of shaking things up. But I think each of those situations are um, kind of standalone issues. I think Lee Wynn is obviously related to his holdout. I think Cullen Rowe, he kind of wanted a super sub to kind of change the game. And in terms of De La Mea, I think they just have... I will say depth at, at center back. I think they have three center backs and two spots. And De La Mea is just the odd man out kind of as the situation has played out. I mean, if De La Mea doesn't get that red card in Philadelphia, is he in the starting lineup? Probably. 
he probably is, but Anibaba came in and has, uh, you know, he, he's played well up to, I would say last night, I think he kind of struggled a little bit. There seemed to be some chaos along the back line, but before last night, there really weren't any complaints about him. And I think Brad Friedel just wanted to keep playing the team that was, uh, has been hot in, in recent form. So I think it's situation by situation. I think De La May is just out in the cold based on uh, bad luck more than anything else. I don't think there's anything to do with his um, inability and, uh, I think if he were to come back into the starting 11, uh, I think we would see him from last year, which, yeah, he, he looked to be uh, a cornerstone of that team and and seemed to be stable. It was before Claude Diola came back, too. Uh, it was him and um, uh, Angua, right? Uh, that And he seemed to be the defender that, uh, you know, was, was a bright spot on a really, really shaky back line. So, um, yeah, I, I think he'll, if he gets another shot, he, he probably will reclaim that uh, starting spot. I think for me, I think that, at least from my own observation, I think Friedel put a lot put a lot of stock into how this team kind of came together during the preseason, which to me, I think is a little bit of a mistake because really preseason, I mean preseason action and preseason form almost never translate uh, accurately to regular season form and regular season action because there's just so many variables. You're playing teams that, you know, it's you know. Team B versus team, it's like, you know, you're playing one team's first team while fielding your B players and vice versa. And I don't think you can make a, enough of an evaluation on the roster just based on preseason form. And I think Friedel kind of did that. Um, and, the, and the instance I look at that as where I can kind of see it is the De La Maya situation where De La Maya really didn't get a lot of action during the preseason. Um, if I remember correctly, he was called up for national team duty and he also... Uh, was battling a little bit of an injury, so he got a he. So I feel like Friedel got a little bit of a longer look than he would have normally have gotten from Andy Baba, and I think he really obviously did like Andy Baba because they signed him. Um, but I think he came away a lot more impressed than Andy Baba based on the way he played during the preseason. And like I said, I think it's I think uh, we're looking at a coach who kind of maybe looked a little too gave a little too much weight to how this team performed in the preseason. Um, you know, for better or worse, and I think uh, I think the way that the team performed in the preseason kind of opened up opened up opportunities for guys like you know primarily um, you know Matt Turner, Julian uh, Baba, and uh, obviously Pinilla is obviously you know he looked he looked pretty strong during the preseason. Um, so I think that's really kind of what it boiled down to. Uh, do I think that he kind of kind of made some rush judgments based on that preseason? I think he kind of did. Um, and who's to say that he's not still evaluating it? You know, there's from what we can tell, you know, he's not really, uh, you know, married to one specific player. Um, I think he is certainly married to a certain certain system, certain way of playing, and I think he's plugged in the players that best fit that system um, so far. Um, so I think uh, I think we'll see. I think it's still early, um, and I think there will probably be more changes as the season progresses. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And we've talked a bit about changes that we might see next week. And I want to jump into that game. Um, and, and with some background, the Columbus crew started the year really well, better than I think anyone expected with a th- you know, three, goal, three wins and a draw in their first four games. But since then, uh, they've lost three straight, a, a 2-1 to one loss at home versus Vancouver, a 1-0 loss at Chicago, and a 1-0 loss at D.C. So they've been shut out in two straight games and uh, struggled to score before that. Um, you know, going into the season, I thought the Cruz roster wasn't particularly impressive. I wasn't impressed with the moves that they made in the offseason, and I thought they would struggle. Um, but they, you know, shocked me with their great start. Uh, now I think they're maybe, you know, getting back to the average of what you'd expect with those three straight losses. But 
uh, it's it's always difficult for the revolution to go on the road and, and get a result in Columbus. So I, I'm curious on, on both of your predictions and also if we do see any changes, what those will be. Uh, let's start with Greg. Uh, well, I, I, I'm going to stick with my De La Maya prediction that I think we see him next week. Um, I'm not sure. I think the rest of the lineup will stay the same. I think Teal Bunbury has kind of solidified himself uh, at the the starting spot up top. Uh, I, I don't foresee them shaking too much up next week. In terms of a prediction, uh, Revs really have not have they don't have a good sample size on the road yet, so we we don't know how this team will perform or what they'll look like on the road. Uh, but as you say, Columbus has been kind of over, <laughs> overachieving a bit this season. I'm going to roll with a one-one draw. Why did I go first? You guys are just going to steal my picks. What am I? Why? why? <laughs> I just realized that. First. I, oh man, you totally suckered me into that one. Didn't even see it coming. Oh man, that was good. Touche, Sean. Uh, I will say uh, I'll, I'll do my best. I'm really, really fighting the urge to not steal Greg's prediction. So, uh, with that in mind, I think that this is going to be zero-one revs again. Um, I just think that the revs, you know, pitted against uh, an opponent that's kind of similar to to Dallas. They're not as not as speedy as Dallas, but they're still kind of like a possession-oriented kind of team. And granted, Dallas really isn't, you know, really didn't kind of play that possession game yesterday. They were kind of like sitting back and, you know, waiting to counterattack. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of, you know, what kind of look uh, Columbus gives them, especially given their given their recent woes. I think they've lost la- they've lost three in a row um, last three weeks. So um, I think that this is a Columbus team that w- could still give them fits, especially defensively. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how this offense comes back because I feel like Dallas kind of, kind of authored the blueprint on how to stop guys like Pania, Caicedo, and even Bunbury. Bunbury kind of disappeared from yesterday's game. So um, you know, those those three guys in particular really kind of need to raise their games, um, play a lot better than they did against uh, Columbus. You know, and that's including uh, Diego Fagundes, of course. Um, so I think it's uh, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be on the road. Um, you know, nothing's really, absolutely nothing's given on the road for this team as we've seen in recent years. Um, but I just don't see, I don't see the defense being reliable enough to, uh, to get three points or even get a single point. So I'll say, uh, crew win one, nothing with the same 11. You don't see any changes next week, Brian. I, well, I see changes. I mean, I could definitely see the De La Maya change, uh, for any Baba. Um, but beyond that, I still think that this is, uh, I still think that this is a team that, you know, has struggled on the road historically. Um, you know, obviously they got the win in Houston, uh, basically by the skin of their teeth, based based upon the way that Houston was playing against them. Um, you know, if not for Matt Turner, that that game could have been two two or three two in Houston's favor. But um, I just don't see I just don't see the defense, even if you plug in De La Mea, to be uh, sound enough to uh, to be sound enough to to you know get a point or even three points for that matter. Yeah, I look at this Columbus roster, and you know, as as you were talking about it, I, I was you know, first thinking, you know, one one sounds right, <laughs> and then Greg took that one, and I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe one nothing loss. But then I began looking at this roster more and more, and I, I'm going to be even less confident. And I, you know, what, what scares me is a guy like Jossie Zardes, who I don't think is that good of a player, but has a ton of speed, and you know, as we've seen over the years, is more than capable of putting in a tap in. Uh, I think that he, especially if we don't see changes, is going to cause the Revs some, some nightmares. And certainly Federico Iguain, um, he's getting up there in age, but he's been someone that's been you know, phenomenal for the crew and has, has caused the revolution a lot of problems over the years. 
Uh, I think that could be a deadly combination against this Revolution defense that you know has a lot of problems. Um, so I think Zardes gets on the board. He started the season really hot and has cooled off a bit, but I think he gets on the board, and I think uh, the combination of him and, and Iguain causes the Revolution a lot of problems. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, this is a team with, with Will Trapp and Artur that is capable of breaking up plays offensively um, that I think will match up well against the Revolution in that end. So I'm, I'm going to actually go with 2 nothing Columbus um, and a difficult loss for the Revolution. Uh, so I, I'm not very confident going into this game, which, again, is Saturday at, at 7.30 p.m. Uh, but I think we had one last question uh, from our listeners that we can get to before we wrap up the show. Greg, can you give us that one? Yeah, sure. And John, before I – do you see any changes next week? I, I think – In the lineup? I, I, I'm about 50-50. I think there's a 50% chance we see De La May out there for Annie Baba. I, I think they should make that change. Um, I just honestly think that Friel is getting a bit set in his ways, as we saw with, with Jay Heaps. Early on in the season, we saw all those changes, but lately he hasn't been, been tinkering with things at all. Uh, you know, but, but again, maybe the loss causes him to, to shake things up, and, and we see De La May. Other than that, I, I'm not sure we're going to see any other changes. Uh, I was really ready to call you guys out on trying hard not to steal my prediction, but then to steal my prediction of the lineup changes. If you had gone with De La May, you and Brian would have copied my answer. So I was really close on that one, but you went the 50-50 cop-out. Whatever, <laughs> That's <Sean>. close enough. <laughs> So uh, one more question from Twitter. Uh, Any Revs UK, probably the biggest Revolution fan uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, He says he has great success in football manager with Brian Wright up top. Do we think we will see him in the 11 or 18? Also, shout out football manager. Great game. You know, if there was ever a time to see Brian Wright in the 18, it's, you know, when A, Kellen Rowe is probably out injured based on what Brian was telling us earlier. And B, when I think we're all pretty convinced that we're not going to be seeing Lee win. So, you know, as we saw in this last game, the Revolution, after they made those two subs, was really lacking a third offensive option. Um, so maybe if we're ever going to see him, it would be in a situation like this. But uh, honestly, I don't think we are going to see Brian Wright. And I'm confused as to why he wouldn't be a guy that you'd be, you know, loaning out at this point. We'll see Brian Wright in open cup play. That's, my, that's what I'll say. Um, yeah, I just don't see him... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really bold, right? Um, I just don't see him being a factor, uh, you know, during uh, during regular season competition. Um, to me, he's very much, uh, very much a fringe player that really I don't see, um, you know, fatal envisioning as anything more than just uh, you know, third available, possibly fourth available option, depending upon how he views Femi Hollinger Jansen. Um, so it's just to me, he's very much a depth piece. Um, that you kind of keep in, you just keep around just in case Agadell gets hurt, which, you know, given his track record, he probably will get hurt at some point. Um, and, uh, you know, he's kind of like, you know, in case of emergency, break glass. He's that kind of player. So um, we'll see him probably in Open Cup. And, you know, if guys get hurt, maybe we see him later on down the road. But I think, you know, as it stands right now, we'll, the next opportunity we'll probably see him is for Open Cup. Yeah, and it this is just a situation of being buried behind a position where you have a lot of players. You have Bunbury and Agadello and um, Namath up top, and then you still have Femi, who I believe has made the 18 a few times this season, and Brian Wright has not. So Brian Wright is really fifth at striker. Um, it's a shame because he did have such a strong preseason when they originally drafted him. I remember that preseason, his rookie year, which was last year, 2017, uh, he seemed to get on the board a few times and, and seem to be impressing, but he just doesn't have a spot. Um, it does beg the question to Sean, why has he not been loaned out? Uh, he seems to be someone that probably would benefit from uh, getting some minutes elsewhere, but uh, you know, Hartford 
the Lee Wynn Brian Wright combo next nation <laughs> next year in Hartford is going to be amazing. You know, if, if, so. if there was a team in Hartford right now, I think we would probably see both Femi and Brian Wright out on loan, you know, getting some minutes there because if, you know they're not breaking into this 18 right now. So there's, there's there's two guys like that that are young. There's a lot to be gained from playing time, and they're not getting any here. Um, so I'm, I'm not I'm not sure what's going on there. But again, if there was a closer team like Hartford, I I would think for sure they would be out there. Um, and again, this upcoming game uh, at Columbus Crew might be the last opportunity to see the Revolution play uh, in Columbus at Mapfree Stadium, as with all the talk about the Columbus crew potentially moving to Austin or, or elsewhere. Um, so that's a, another storyline to keep in the background for that one. Uh, and this one is on NBC Sports Boston. Uh, any any shout-outs you guys got before we wrap up the show? Yeah, I've got it. I just want to shout-out uh, uh, Bay State Soccer League team, uh, Providence City FC. Um, they just opened. They just opened their season a couple of weeks ago. They just uh, played yesterday to a two-two draw in Johnston. Um, I'm really close with those guys. Guys, a lot of guys who formerly played for East Providence Sports. For any of you non-league American, uh, non-league America guys, followers, um, they're kind of like the latest iteration of them. So uh, I just want to give them a shout out. They've shown a lot of love to both uh, both the podcast and to uh, New England Soccer today. So I just want to just want to uh, shout out to them and uh, wish them continued success this year. And I just want to uh, say, tragically, uh, you know, Matt Turner's shutout streak ends 270 minutes. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Um, and I, I also want to say, I'm not going to name names, but someone tweeted out yesterday that it's time to start the Matt Turner for U.S. men's national team campaign. And I was very offended because I started that week two. Not to, not just saying, but, you know, would like some recognition there. I've been driving that bandwagon since day one. So, but looking forward to the next uh, 270 minute uh, shutout streak for Matt Turner, which I'm sure will be the next three games. Yeah, and we can question a lot of moves that Brad Friedel has made, but one you certainly can't question is Matt Turner with how his performances have been. Um, to, to me, what we've seen from him this, to start this year has been better than what we've seen from from Cody Cropper or Brad Knight, and really over over any stretch. So that that's one move that I think surprised us all, and one move that has paid off from from Brad Friedel. So you know, good job there. Former U.S. men's national team goalkeeper, one of the best ever, and Brad Friedel, uh, perhaps, as Greg said, <laughs> grooming the next U.S. men's national team goalkeeper with the way Matt Turner is playing, but it's been only six games. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, before we wrap up, you know, make sure you, fo- you follow Revolution Recap on Twitter. Uh, we'll, we all take turns tweeting out from there. And, and again, if you tweet questions at us, we'll make sure to answer them on the show. We appreciate the ones that we got today. Um, make sure to follow Brian, Brian O'Connell at Brian O'Connell 21 on Twitter and Greg Johnstone at G Johnstone 12. Um, and then of course you can follow me at Sean L Donahue. Thanks again for listening. Thanks Brian, Greg for joining us.